Welcome to HivriaCast, the podcast where I, Alad Nehrai, speak with some fascinating and incredible creative Jews. Hello, welcome to episode 16 of HivriaCast. I am honored to have Ian Leifer uh, with us, who is running a very unique and cool thing called the camping trip, right? That's correct. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Um, so, I don't know, I feel like we should just jump right in. Why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself first, and your story? Myself. Um, I, uh, well, I was born in Brooklyn, born in Brooklyn, New York. My parents moved upstate when I was an infant, six months mm-hmm. old. Mm-hmm. Uh, my father's dream was to open a horseback riding stables, and they found an opportunity in Jeffersonville, New York, mm-hmm. to purchase a 35-acre farm with a, a nice farmhouse and a pool and a barn and a half-mile racetrack and a large pond, um, really, really beautiful mm. plot of land. And my father was able to fulfill his dream. And uh, at the peak of what was called Indigo Stables, uh, we had 65 horses and a host of other animals. Mm. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was really uh, quite a uh, unique uh, childhood growing up there on that farm. You weren't religious then, right? No, I was not. Um, no. my parents were not religious. My mother actually was raised Catholic until she was 18. Oh. And her mother's mother told her that we are Jewish from Spain. Oh, wow. Um, so, uh, she, even though there was like that doubt there, she had never related to Catholicism. Uh-huh. And uh, in her early 30s, she started to go through the conversion process anyway, just mm. because she wanted to make sure that she was in, in fact Jewish. Mm. And usually conversion process takes like two to three years. So um, <coughs> after a month of her learning under a rabbi for this conversion study, her rabbi went to the Lubavitcher Rebbe, and the Lubavitcher Rebbe said, take her to the mikveh now, she's Jewish. Wow. Um, so she didn't have to undergo the traditional conversion process. Wow. Um, and uh, yeah, it's a fascinating story. Yeah. Um, my father was raised um, not from, um, but uh, his younger siblings kind of led... <laughs> their parents to become more uh, religious mm. uh, as my father was really leaving the house. Mm-hmm. Um, so his younger siblings, his three younger siblings, my two uncles and aunts are both from, mm. and um, and my father was not. My father actually attended the original uh, 1969 Woodstock Oh yeah, uh, when he was 17 years old. Yes. And, um, you know... So uh, you've kind of like carried on some of that in your own life or yeah absolutely i mean um it's interesting because i wanted to honor him Mm. uh, and honor his memory and his love for music Mm. um because he was an incredible harmonica player incredible blues harmonica player um really out of this world um indescribably good (laughs) (laughs) wow um but uh he you know, needed, he, uh, you know, went through, uh, very, very interesting experiences throughout his life. And, uh, I definitely felt that, um, when I originally started this, uh, that it was to, uh, to bring back the, bring out the goodness of that experience in a positive way and leave out all of the negative details, mm. um, that are associated with Woodstock. Interesting. Yeah. So you, at what point did you be like, start to embrace Yiddishkeit? Um, well, that's a good question. Uh, you know, I think that, uh, on the, on that journey, there are many different steps along the way. Yeah. Um, for me, I, I went to public school until I was in sixth grade mm. and, um, because of different issues growing up, I recognized at a young age that I should leave my, uh, you know, leave Jeffersonville, leave where I grew up and get out as soon as possible so that I could, uh, have a proper education elsewhere and, um, you know, give myself the best chance at, uh, you know, not dealing with certain stressors that were, that I was encountering at a young age. So I actually formed the plan, which was to convince my mom that I wanted to go to Hebrew day school to prepare for my bar mitzvah. Mm. Um, 
so that I could go to high school outside of uh, where I grew up. So this was like to escape yeah. where you were? Yeah. Wow. Growing up in the country, up in Jeffersonville, it's not easy. Especially Jeffersonville, I literally was the only Jewish person. Oh. That's, I think I'm the only Jewish person that's ever grown up in that town. Wow. Um, that is that's certainly the only one that's, that's uh, actually from. Wow. Um, so did you get bullied or anything for it, for being Jewish or? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's, it sounds like I may be underplaying it. Or yeah, something. I, had a, I uh, had a knife drawn on me. Oh, wow. I was thrown under uh, a school bus wow. and uh, told that I should stay there. For, um, and this for was the, for being Jewish or just like? It was, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's oh, that was that's just a couple of things that come to mind. Not not to mention all the nasty things that were said to me. Wow. Um, I was the only Jewish student in a school of a thousand kids. Wow. Yeah. It's crazy, and so and it's interesting because it sounds almost like, I guess, ironically, it kind of brought you closer to your Judaism in a way. Yeah. Um, At least was, in effect, it did. Right? Yeah, absolutely. You yeah. know, it's amazing. Um, God is amazing, uh, the, the greatest. And um, to see how I was able to see through certain things growing up, even at a young age, mm. that I was surrounded by, you know, people trying to convince me of certain doctrines um, because I was the only Jewish person there. And they're like, oh, you know, what are you doing with this, this Hanukkah stuff and, uh, <laughs> you know, all of that. Like, uh, So when, they weren't, when there wasn't bullying, they were, some people were trying to convert you. Well. Yeah, I, I would say, um, or at least you know, a lot of a lot of ridicule, uh -huh. um, a lot of uh, egotistical attitudes that uh, were demeaning, and and I don't think it was necessarily, you know, I don't think it was. I, I don't I don't blame anybody. I mean, that's how people are raised. Sometimes when you're encountering kids that are displaying these attitudes, you know, that's coming from somewhere. You know, kids mm -hmm. don't just form these attitudes out of nowhere. Right. Um, so obviously that that's telling me that there's this, uh, you know, misora, I guess you could say. So um, that, uh, you know, the same way that certain traditions are passed down in Judaism, unfortunately, there are certain traditions of bias and prejudice that are passed down through uh, other generations. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, I... I Try to look at everybody and everything with an eye in Tovin, with a good eye, wow. because I believe that there is such goodness. I believe everything is good, um, ultimately good, and uh, that everything is the ultimate good. So um, even these struggles that I may have went through when I was younger, um, and uh, certainly the two examples I used were, you know, just one, a couple of many Mm. Um, that uh, I encountered while I was in that school and living growing up there. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't hold anybody accountable and uh, I don't hold or, you know, I forgive everybody for everything. You know, I don't hold any grudges whatsoever. I think that uh, um, God puts you in situations and and wants you to grow from them. And definitely all of those experiences have helped me grow. How do they, how do they help you grow? Um, well, uh you know, first of all, everything you go through is an educational experience. Um, you know, I, I can learn how to deal with certain situations better, um, learning patience, learning to communicate better, um, learning to uh, uh, stand up for what I believe in mm. and uh, refusing to back down from that in certain circumstances, despite the consequences or ramifications of that, because, um, because the powers that are trying to instill that doubt in you and instill that uh, defeat in you, um, no matter what those powers might be capable of, um, you know, being a, a man of convictions, I shouldn't say a man of convictions, but being a person of conviction um, for what you believe in is something that I think is integral to living a peaceful and happy life. Mm. So beautiful. So, um, so we were saying like that you had convinced your mother to uh just so we just uh the story of how you became religious you had convinced her to send you to a school right so i convinced her to send me to this school yeah 
And um, I started going there, attending, attending this school. The first year was, it was interesting, like a buffer period, you know, they, uh, um, they didn't really know. I was a very wild kid. I mean, mm. when you grow up on a horseback riding stables, you're an only <laughs> child and you're already dealing with all the other stuff at the school and, yeah. and all the stuff at home. Um, and your escape is running through the woods like a madman and, you know, trying to sneak up on animals and see how close you can get before they run away and, you know, trying to, uh, you know, get them to trust you enough so that you can actually walk up to like a deer and, and pet it. Um, you know, a lot of that was going on in my childhood, which I guess you could say is a typical, um, for most, uh, for most people in general, but, uh, certainly from, uh, for most Jewish people that grow up in the tri-state area. Yeah, definitely religious Jews there, Orthodox yeah, Jews. That's for so. sure, for sure. <laughs> um, so, you know, that first year was like a buffer period. I had an amazing rabbi for seventh and eighth grade who, um, he uh, recognized where I was at and he was, he was very, very cool with, uh, you know, giving me leeway in certain regards and understanding that, you know, I wasn't necessarily in the right state of mind to mm. be able to pay the most attention or do the work that needed to be done in Hebrew studies and certainly not even close to grade level as most everyone else was. But that was the kind of school, that's the kind of school that Hebrew day school uh, of Sullivan, Ulster and Orange counties is. Um, Rabbi Fruchter, the principal there is, you know, still one of the most influential people in my life. And he's, uh, you know, helped me so much with so many things, including even now, I, you know, we just spoke to him on the phone yesterday regarding having Hatzalah on standby at the event and having a Sefer Torah at the event and anything he can do, he will do to contribute and help. Mm. And he has always supported me and always been there for me. In fact, even letting me, you know, live at his house for a couple of weeks on two occasions when, uh, um, you know, things were uh, a little shaky. So, uh, I'm very blessed and very grateful to have had him and to still have him in my life. Um, but beyond Hebrew day school, I went to Moshe Aaron Yeshiva High School in New Jersey, which doesn't exist anymore. And then I transferred from there to Frisch mm. and graduated from the Frisch School in Paramus. Um, when I was in like eighth grade, I started this Kiruv camp, which is in Fallsburg, New York, called Camp Nagila. And the director of the camp gives this amazing shure on um, to a select group of kids. It's like he handpicks the kids. Mm. And every everyone that's in the camp, they have to have, you know, all from really almost, I would say 85% of kids are from non-religious backgrounds. And um, every student has to have 45 minutes of learning groups in the morning where they learn Torah with one of the counselors or something. And the director of the camp, Rabbi Shanker, he has to, uh, he picks, hand picks a select group of kids and spends a whole month basically proving that Judaism is real. Hmm. Um, and about three weeks in, it clicked for me that Judaism was real. And Only I was three like, weeks, huh? Three weeks. Yeah, it was pretty impressive, I must say. <laughs> he, he brings up a couple of very interesting proofs. And um, I felt that, uh, you know, I, I had to make some changes in my life, some positive changes, at least in my own mindset, wow. um, and take uh, Judaism more seriously. Um, so since then, you essentially started to embrace, like, I guess, like an Orthodox lifestyle or... Well, it's interesting. Um, I think, let me try and think the timeline of events. Yes, it was shortly, it was about a month after that summer that my father passed away. Oh, wow. And that was three weeks after moving out of Jeffersonville to New Jersey to, <coughs> um, to start high school. Wow. So I was in this new place. I didn't know anyone. And my father passed away three weeks into school. And my recollection of it is that, you know, I went from being a cool kid that, uh, you know, was trying to make friends and uh, trying to get to know people and, and trying to make a name for myself in high school to um, uh, being the kid that was saying Kaddish every day. Yeah. You know, and you see how people don't know. People generally don't know if they haven't experienced death um, on a personal level. 
it's tough for people to know how to react, especially when you're in high school, because most kids in high school haven't dealt with something like that. Mm. So, um, you know, it was difficult for me, certainly very difficult for me. And, uh, you know, at any age, losing a parent is difficult. Uh, you could be 60 and uh, you're, you lose someone and it's very difficult. Um, for me, at 14 years old, uh, it was life-altering and it took me a very long time to move past that. So certainly I didn't, I wasn't like hopping on the derech, you know, like, let's go, I'm ready to go. I was davening, um, you know, my my father's sisters who I lived with and she actually got remarried two weeks before uh, he passed away. And um, her new husband was was very, very motivational in getting me to go to Minion to say Kaddish for my father. And uh, I'm grateful to him for pushing me, even though at the time I really didn't want to even go and daven. Obviously, when you're in school, you, you know, you have to be at davening. Uh, you have to be at prayers. So I would be there and um, I would lead the services. And, uh, you know, it was uh, it was a way for that was that became a way for me to connect to God um, Mm. through prayer. Um, but after that year, I certainly, you know, I was grateful that, that, that time period was done and I didn't have to daven for the Ahmed anymore, you know, for the, the, uh, congregation and that I could move forward with my life, which I just wanted to do what normal kids do, you know? Uh, and I was a bit rebellious, so I would, uh, you know, kind of just do my own thing and, uh, you know, just um, trying to make it through high school, you know. Um, but uh, I always had, I always had lofty uh, goals. Um, always had intentions to try and change the world. Um, that's something that's always been important to me: um, is to impact the world in a very positive way. And is there any like specific way, like thing you wanted to change about the world, or was there? Is it more just yes. like general ambition? No, I, I definitely think that a theme in my life has always been to, to heal people. Um, to heal people, not, not just physically, um, but to help people be truthful mm. and to help people uh, come to, together. Um, and uh, to see that, you know... This short time that we have on this planet, it shouldn't be spent looking for. And I'm not gonna. I'm not saying that there weren't times where I was wasn't looking for these things myself, um, where I thought that money was important and where I thought that uh, uh, recognition was important. Um, certainly, there were times, and even recently, there were times where I thought those things were important. Um, I always wanted to change the world for the better and help people. So what is it? You said you wanted people to be more truthful. What, what, how does that heal people? In what sense do you want them to be more truthful? And, and I guess what's, what's the question of that? It's a good question. I feel like people get so caught up in the general... Okay, because everybody has constructs that they live within, mm-hmm. right? Everybody has these constructs of, of state of minds that they live within. Everybody has to create their own reality and has their own truths. Um, but for me, you know, I, don't, I can't say that I know all truths by any means. Mm-hmm. I do know one truth. I know that God is real, that uh, God loves everyone, and that Judaism is the true, is, is truth. Mm-hmm. Um, and that through seeking that out, um, one can come to inner truth and inner peace Mm. and that state of mind and that state of being is the ultimate, is like the ultimate pleasurable way to live. Mm. Um, because when you remove all these mental obstacles that we put in our ways, uh, then you can move forward and do what needs to be done. Mm. And that is, that means moving forward selflessly Mm. because 
most people, listen, we all have needs, you know, we all have actual needs, but we have to recognize the difference between a need and a want. And for me, that has been redefined many, many, many times over. And I would say, like I said, up until recently, I had uh, many of these same view. I had many of these same viewpoints um, that I'm speaking about now. So I recognize I recognize where it comes from. But when you try and do something for other people. And you, and you really are giving of yourself, right? There's a concept in Judaism, what is love? What is true love? Hmm. What does it mean to love, right? So part of what I, you're asking me, my mission, part of what my mission is in this world is to help uh, people be more truthful. Um, but in finding that truth, people can be more loving and show each other more love. Hmm. What is love? If you're going to be more loving, you have to understand the definition of love. And the concept in Judaism of love is that true love is giving. Hmm. And how, do we, how can we understand that? And I would ask you, what is the strongest bond of love in this world? Are you asking me? I'm asking, yeah. What would you say? The strongest bond of love. Between a father, between a parent and a child. Between a parent and a child, I—that's exactly right. And I would say a little further that it would be between a mother and their child. Mm. Why? Because a, a woman has to sacrifice her body, mm. not just for nine months, but for thereafter. So we see from that that. You know, after after a woman has a has, you know, bears children and has to continue to raise that child and provide for that child, you know, a, a parent um, would is is willingly giving that to the child, hmm. and 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 gladly will will sacrifice their body in order for their child to grow and to succeed and to outshine them so that they can give them a better life than they've than than they have had. Mm. So that's really a testament to what love is, mm. um, sacrificing of oneself for others. Mm. So we can see the example, clear and present, between a mother and a child. Um, but through that example, we have to do that for others ourselves. Also, the tremendous concept of, of chesed. Mm. You know, I was um, fortunate to go to the Lubavitcher Rebbe's uh, grave last night. Mm. Um, and every time I walk into the Ohel, I see, uh, I see Lubavitcher Rebbe on the wall holding a coin, you know, suggesting like, give tzedakah. And he's like looking at the camera warmly, like, you know, mm. give tzedakah, give charity. Mm-hmm. And it's so important because we are all caught up in this society that puts so much weight and emphasis on money. Mm. Like... Money is the end game. Like, yeah, get that money. You're going to get whatever you need. You're going to have whatever you want. You're going to be set. And it's false. It's so false. It's, it's, most people get caught up in that and aren't able to break free of that mindset. And when, when you are in that mindset, I feel that it brings a lot more stress onto oneself and 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 when you have stress on yourself you're 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 putting that stress out into your environment around you Hmm. um so for me eliminating that desire to profit or make money beyond what i need is um has been a battle and something that i've you know really come to grips with over the last (coughs) over the last year specifically Hmm. And getting back to my journey in being religious, like I said, you know, after my father passed away, other than davening for the congregation, praying for the congregation, um, you know, I, I fell off very much so. And um, when I started in Frisch, I lived with my aunt and uncle, uh, my father's brother, who is a very, very uh, well-respected and, and respectable person. 
mm-hmm. um, that is very, very knowledgeable and studies Torah all the time, every day. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the example that they set for me for the year and a half that I was living there from the middle of 11th grade until I graduated high school um, was also a, you know, a life-altering uh, um, experience for me mm-hmm. because they... They forced me to keep Shabbat, honestly, and my aunt forced me to put on tefillin um, in the mornings on Sunday mornings when I wasn't in school. And, um, you know, I used to like, I'd be on on Shabbos, like Friday night, I'd be like, oh, I'm going to sleep. And then I'd go into my room and like I'd watch movies on my DVD player, you know, and just chill. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, get the double features in and then pass out and like show up late to shul, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. It's like Teen Minion starts at like, you know, 9.45 and my uncle wanted me to be there. So I'd go, okay, I'd show up like 10.30, no problem, whatever. They were understanding. Mm. But they did motivate me and they did push me. And um, that was the first taste of the peace that Shabbat brings. Hmm. Um, and the um, just that overall environment of holiness that is very conducive to growth um so that's so interesting so talking about love and honesty and all these things that you gained over time you know how did that then or i guess how do you it seems to me like obviously you consider this camping trip thing you're doing as part of that attempt to bring out this honesty and truth and and the obviously like incredibly powerful connection you have to to Yiddishkeit um I'm curious how you kind of got there and what you know how you got from this desire to change the world with these specific um kind of ways you wanted to change it and and also through your connection to Judaism as you were growing like how did that all kind of combine into where you are now and what you're doing now that's a great question um so also a process, you know, I would say after I lived with my aunt and uncle in Teaneck, I went to Israel for the year and then I went to Queens College. Mm. And during that period from when I started Israel until I graduated Queens College, you know, I wasn't religious at all. Mm. Um, <clears throat> you know, I used to shave my head bald mm. and, uh, you know, I used to, you know, I used to have like, uh, you know, I used to think like, oh, you know. Let's go. I used to, I love playing basketball, so I would go and play basketball every day, mm. and like, uh, and I'd go home and chill afterwards, and uh, kick it with some friends, and uh, you know, thank God I had an amazing crew of friends that we used to hang out with in Queens College and cause ruckuses all over town and in good ways and and some in not so good ways, <laughs> but um, you know, those those were. Uh, amazing years because you know college is uh, a real place to grow and um, certainly from a social aspect mm-hmm. uh, to learn how to socialize better that was really I would say more than the classes mm-hmm. um, learning to speak to people and to and to socialize with people better was something that I gained a lot um, from that experience I guess because it does kind of sound like you were I don't know if the right word is like loner a little bit before that. Or? Yeah, I um, I would say I would say that's true. Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, I've always looked, you know, at myself kind of as like a lone wolf type of figure. You know, that was like, a, uh, you know, like a, a type of uh, I guess like like my own perception of myself at at many times. And there, and I do like to socialize. Don't get me wrong, but there's just times where I just like I just want to go. And just be my be by myself and like not be bothered, mm-hmm. um, and uh, definitely find that that's like a peaceful zone for me sometimes. Um, but uh, you know, I did have a lot of friends, uh, thank God, in college, and uh, a couple of close friends. Uh, one guy is actually performing at the camping trip this year. Mm. Um, his artist name is Hebro. That's Rafael Fulcher. So we used to chill in college all the time. We lived together at one point for a little while and we used to freestyle and beatbox and, uh, you know, go to different events together, go to different parties together and, uh, um, really just, I, I play ball together all the time. And, you know, we had a group of guys that, uh, you know, I was, I was doing that with and, uh, that was really enjoyable. So were you like already doing like creative 
and stuff at that time as well or well for sure you yeah. know like i fell in love with rapping when i was uh in ninth grade ah, and it started with writing poetry and then i had an assignment in english class in ninth grade to write an epic poem uh-huh. so i actually wrote it and I, as i was saying it at the end i realized that it, it sounded more like a rap <laughs> um so uh it was cool uh it was a cool a cool little rap and uh, after that i just started writing more rap hmm. Um, but I think freestyling is, uh, much cooler, uh, in general, just because it's such an expressive outlet, mm. meaning you put on a beat, you find a random beat, you put it on, or you're make, creating a beat using vocal percussion and, um, you're just letting out like the thoughts of your day, the thoughts of your life, um, you know, to the, that group of people right there in that moment. And then it's, and that's it. <laughs> so you know when you're when you get really creative and you're improvising on the top uh, you know off the top of of your head um that's when you're seeing like real truth mm-hmm. you know and and that is very that can be if you if you are it's like working a muscle and when you get better at it you know it's very powerful very powerful speech because you know uh, you have people around you, and then if you do it in front of a little bit of a larger crowd, then you know you can pick out different things that you're seeing around you and incorporate it into the rhyme, and then you can bring stuff back from that maybe a conversation you had with a friend before and bring out one of the lines he said, you know, stuff like that. Mm. So that kind of creativity was always fun. So getting to what your question was that I diver- diverted from mm, on this little tangent... Um, you know, how was, how did the camping trip and my motivation for the camping trip and helping people through, um, being more truthful and showing and displaying love, um, how did that kind of incorporate with the camping trip? Mm. Um, so like I mentioned, you know, I wasn't religious from when I went to Israel for a gap year until, uh, really I wasn't religious until this past December. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, this, I know this is a podcast, but I'm, I'm sitting here with, uh, Tzitzidan and Yamaka and, uh, you know, Shomer Shabbat now, and I daven three times a day. And, um, you know, I, uh, I learn a little Torah and, uh, um, you know, that's all. And I, oh, and I also have a, uh, also have a, you know, big red beard. <laughs> um, which is also a new development. <laughs> so uh, for me, this is all all new, but it was always there. You know, mm. it was always underneath the surface. Mm. Uh, just I wasn't expressing myself truthfully. I guess you're saying like you felt it and you were you believed it. But there weren't. were times where I doubted mm-hmm. for sure. Definitely periods of of eh, well, what is this and why do I have to do it anyway and justifications. And um, not believing at times. But, uh, you know, God has a a very interesting way of giving you a little co- a kick mm. and saying, hey, you know, like, uh, you got to uh, really got to get it together. So the camping trip started in 2011. Right. That's what I was going to ask. So if you <coughs> said you feel like you've just, quote, unquote, started in December. So spiritually wise, you know, I would say that, you know, before I started becoming more from in December, mm-hmm. I was, um, I was, uh, sorry, just distracted. <laughs> um, before I started getting more religious in December, um, I, I didn't, I, I knew, I knew that, you know, God, I knew that God existed and I knew that, you know, I had very strong feelings that Judaism was real, and, and it was definitely the only truth that I ever related to. Mm. Um, so I, you know, always had strong ties, and I always would have been proud of being Jewish. You know, that's something because when you when you're growing up in that environment, as I described earlier, mm. you know, repping repping the six one three, six hundred thirteen mitzvot, and repping Hashem and God. Yeah, um, that is. Uh, that was like who I, that was my identity. Mm-hmm. And, um, even though there were times of doubt in that, but I still, that was my identity. That's who I was. So I always was very proud to be Jewish. So when you say like you become religious, you're talking more like overtly. Like observing, was, yeah. observing the commandments. Right. Yeah. 
Sorry to cut you off. No. Um, like observing commandments, like uh, praying and, you know, like learning Torah and keeping kashrut and keeping Shabbat and wearing tzitzit every day and, uh, you know, being very careful to watch what I say mm. and being very mindful of, uh, you know, other people's, um, I guess I've generally always been mindful of other people's needs, not all the time. You know, certainly I've had my very selfish, very entitled phases. Um, but, uh, you know, now I, I would definitely say that being more religious is, um, uh, teaches you that selflessness as well that I had always preached, but maybe had not practiced. Mm. Um, so, the camping trip started in 2011. Mm. Uh, my college roommate, Daniel Nussbaum, said that uh, there was a Fish concert, mm. um, you know, and uh, I didn't know the band Fish at the time, but uh, they um, were performing at Bethel Woods, and he knew that I had land up there, so he said, hey, Ian, you know, a group of my friends, they want to go and camp out for Shabbat. Mm. Don't you have land near Bethel Woods? Um, there's a Fish concert uh, that Saturday night and Sunday night. We want to go. And I said, yeah, sounds cool. Sounds like a great idea. You know, I hadn't been there in like nine years. No, I, would, I was there once in 11 years. No, let me, let me correct that again. I was there once in seven years. Yeah. Mm. I was there one time in seven years. And I said, you know, listen, like nobody's been there for a long time. But um, we can go. Yeah, let's do it. So we went upstate. And um, we all camped out for Shabbat, 17 of us, on the land. And the land was so overgrown. It was crazy. It was just like going to a jungle, you know. I couldn't even recognize it was so overgrown. And um, we we all parked at the bottom of the driveway and uh, camped out, made a fire, um, had Shabbat. It was absolutely beautiful. I remember specifically me and a couple friends going off to the side. Each of us had a bottle of wine. And uh, just singing Nagunim um, and uh, harmonizing and, and, and all hitting different harmonies and intertwining. It was beautiful, beautiful uh, music. Mm. And everybody, you know, heard us singing. So they all started coming over one by one to join in yeah. uh, because it sounded so good. So um, these were like Hasidic guys or? No, yeah. no, no. Just like, re- you know, regular. Regular modern Orthodox chill people, um, you know, people from Long Island, people from Queens, people from L.A., people from Florida, a multitude of modern Orthodox, what people would consider modern Orthodox. I don't like to put those labels, Mm -hmm. um, but just to identify, you know, give a a type, um, what people would consider to be modern Orthodox. Mm -hmm. I believe that all Jews are Jews under construction. (laughs) <laughs> um, so, uh, I, we, we had Shabbat and then Motzei Shabbat, I went to fish and, um, I had a college, room, I had a, a roommate in Israel that loved fish and he used to play them all the time. And I would say, Hey man, can you, you know, turn that down? Like hmm. wasn't a, a big fan. And, and then my college roommates, they were big fish fans and they would play it and I'd be like, all right, you know, sounds cool. Um, but that night, that concert absolutely blew my mind. Yeah. That's what everyone says about fish. You have to go to a show. Absolutely. And it doesn't all, it's not always one show. Like you can't just always go to one show. Sometimes it takes two or three shows, but, but then you start to see like what it's about and you start to understand and appreciate if, if you can recognize good music, then you start to understand and appreciate. And, um, it was interesting because earlier that day we, um, took a hike through the woods on Shabbat. <clears throat> and there's a large, large creek on my property. It's like 60 feet wide. And it's different depths depending on where you are and whether it's rained recently or not. Mm. And um, when we were hanging out over there, we were walking through some of the back fields. And it was interesting because as we were preparing for this Shabbat, I was thinking, you know, like, we're going up there for a concert, but... You know, I have enough land, like, maybe I could do this on my land someday. And when we got there, I started, like, looking at the land a little differently, starting to see, like, how things, where things could go. 
And then my same roommate that had suggested that we go in the first place, we were walking across that backfield, and he turns to me and he goes, yo, you should throw a festival here. And I was like, I was like, dude, I've been thinking about it. I was thinking about that since, uh, you know, last few days. And he, he was like, yeah, absolutely, you should do it. And after he, you know, affirmed what I was thinking, I started looking at the land much differently. And I started preparing in my head, like, where things were going to go. Um, everybody had an amazing time. And certainly I bonded with everyone there that weekend. We all bonded with each other. And I'm still close with a lot of those people. That was magical that weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, every time I see anyone that, there was, that was there that weekend, you know, I'm, I'm just filled with love to see them. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, that later that summer, people had heard that we had gone, so people wanted to go back. So we went back and we camped again, and uh, we had a slightly larger group, and it was there was no concert going on at Bethel Woods. People just wanted to come and experience the land, because the land itself is particularly beautiful land. Mm. Um, and and there, thereafter, every year, uh, we would have one or two trips, and everybody would just was just in love that everybody's like, Oh, we got to keep going. We got to go back because it's this moment in time of complete serenity Mm. where you're just like, you're, you're giving up all of the loud noises, Mm -hmm. all the traffic congestion, all of the, uh, abrasive attitudes. And you just kick back, sit by the fire, you know, have a Lachayim, uh, eat some food, go on some hikes, and reconnect with nature, which that's our roots. Mm. Um, that's where we come from. So thereafter, uh, in 2014, uh, we our groups had gr- grown to like 50 people the year before. Um, and there was a local band in Queens, uh, a few Queens College students that were, uh, you know, a couple years younger than me that were throwing some shows and they would have like 50 to 80 people at these shows and, you know, local bars in the city and uh, mainly Jewish crowd and they sounded pretty good and they have an, an amazing crew, uh, incredible guitar, lead guitarist, Craig Auerbacher and, um, you know, vocalist and uh, I believe he was playing bass was, no, he wasn't on bass. I think he maybe was playing rhythm guitar actually, which was Asaf Weiss. Mm. Um, and then Ellie Bierg on bass and Uriel Yanni on drums. They were called the Saul Goodman Band. Mm. You know, like, it's all good, man, you know? Right. And uh, Asaf approached me. He's like, yeah, man, we've been hearing about these camping trips you do. He's like, and I, we want to, uh, like, throw a show there. So I was like, I was like, that's really cool. You know, someone maybe mentioned to me a few weeks ago that you were interested. I said, uh, all right, let's make a deal. So um, we made a deal that... Uh, if they could bring, if they brought less than fifty people, I'd pay them two hundred fifty bucks, mm. and if they brought more than fifty people, I'd pay them three hundred fifty bucks. Mm. So uh, we had sixty-one people for Shabbat, and another thirty people came on Motzei Shabbat for the concert, and uh, it was fantastic. It was absolutely spectacular. Everybody just also fell in love all over again. And then Shabbat culminated in this musical experience that everybody loved. Um, and uh, and that's all she wrote. But I knew that because I had had it in my mind like to do this over the last couple of years, like I knew this would be a big litmus test for what was going to be in the future. And I was already planning a bigger event, even though people didn't know that necessarily. Mm-hmm. And people would suggest to be like, yo, you should throw a festival, you should throw a festival. Did you see this like as a, like something for enhancing like a, a Jewish experience or was it like a concert <clears throat> that was, you know, happened to be on Shabbat? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. Or, I mean, after Shabbat. No, absolutely. It's a great question also. Um, so I would say that um, I was 50-50. Uh-huh. Um, definitely my intentions were not always pure. Um, I always wanted to throw a rager, you know, like a, an amazing music festival. Um, and like, we'll have all these people come and, you know, we could have 5,000 people one day on the land cause the land could hold it. And, um, it was my mom, honestly, she motivated me to keep it Jewish. And she said to me that I needed to, that, you know, I, sh- I am Jewish. 
So I should be proud to do something like that in a Jewish way. And it's interesting because, you know, it took me a long time to not just knock off her opinions. <laughs> say, oh, mom, like, what are you talking about? You know, like growing up, uh, I wouldn't take her advice so seriously. Is your mom Orthodox? Or? My mom is, like I said, every Jew is a Jew under construction. Mm-hmm. So, like I mentioned that she was raised Catholic right. and certainly went through oh, right. yeah, her right. own host, host of struggles. Right. Uh, my mom is an incredibly spiritual, lof- spiritually lofty person. Yeah. And her Amuna is incredible. Okay, so even though she may not be um, as observant as other people, and she started keeping Shabbat also recently, oh, yeah? which is cool, you know. And she dobbins, she prays every day. She says a little bit of prayer every day. Um, um, it's just funny because your story, just the only reason I asked was because it reminded me of, like part of my story becoming religious was I was very into Eastern religions. I was so into all that stuff. And my mom, who is secular Israeli, um, told me, you know, like if you're looking into all these religions, why aren't you spending some time on Judaism? You yeah, know? absolutely. And so I picked up this book uh, about it and, Next thing I know, I'm going to Chabad, etc. So it's the mothers of the Jewish people that are going to save <laughs> and bring Mashiach, you know. Apparently, um, yeah, no, it's true. Sure. It's true. Sure. So um, you know, her strength and her faith in doing that really was uh, impactful on the intentions of hosting this event, and also the event developed naturally that way because all my friends were Jewish, um, so that were coming to these events. So you know, even though I wasn't really observing Shabbat at the time, you know, people would be like upset after and they'd be like, you know, like we didn't have an Eruv. It's a big problem for me. Like I, I I need to be able to eat food outside and like hold a plate, but like I can't because I can't carry, Mm -hmm. like I can't even carry this water bottle from here to there. It's like, whoa, like that's a real problem for my friends and I have to respect their needs and make sure that their needs are all accommodated. So I built a small A-roof, you know, like, you know, a couple hundred square feet of an A-roof just so people had that. And then it was like, well, you know, like, Ian, like, we can't be, like, putting wood in the fire on Shabbos, you know. It's like, what are you going to do? So I hired non-Jewish people to come and uh, and stoke the fire on Shabbat. So this was after you had already started camp the camping trip is that so that was this, this the, yeah these things um these things developed over a number of years huh. um so this was like the evolution of this festival that you were this music festival that you were building up so i wouldn't call it a music festival okay um people call it a music festival but it's not a music festival it's a shabbat festival okay. um and really it's a festival for god um and that has developed into what it is now so that's now it's like yeah. The focus is on 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 Shabbat and on uh, the yeah. Jew experience as a Jewish person experience. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, really what I'm trying to create, because people have these, like I said, these constructs in their mind. Like people hear, oh, it's an Orthodox um, festival. Mm-hmm. Um, then, well, you know, like I'm not Orthodox. Like I don't keep Shabbat. I don't keep kosher. Like why would I go to this? It's like, no, that's that's not what what's going on here. Um, at the first camping trip that blew up, which was in 2015, two years ago, um, I booked a band called Pigeons Playing Ping Pong. And I, you know, they had, there had been word and rumors that they were really good. And I had an opportunity to book them for a great deal. And I saw that they had a lot of positive things coming up that summer. So I knew that I had to hop on it and just go from there. And, um, you know, I ran out of some budget and, and saw that I could, you know, it was, it was feasible. Maybe I would break even, maybe I, I would lose a little money on the first year. But once everyone came, they would see the land, they would see the experience that was created for them, and they would fall in love. Uh, just as everyone else that had come to the land in the past had fallen in love. So... I booked them and then I saw, well, hey, like nobody really, no no one that I know really knows who these people are except for like a group of like 20, 30 people. Mm. So I was like, okay, so I got to get a couple of Jewish acts involved here as well. Um, and there was opportunity with Zusha emerging on the scene. And I went to high school with two of the guys in Zusha. Okay. Uh, and, um, and then people had suggested Genome Project to me. They said Genome Project was great. 
And uh, I booked those three guys for headliners. I had a, f- a friend that were uh, that was a DJ and and you know asked him to come and be a part of it. And 405 people came and paid to go to the event. Another 200 plus people came throughout the weekend. Um, you know, that people coming for free, artists that were there for free, um, people helping, being part of the event. And it was this insane scene, insane. Um, you know, we built an area of around 68 acres of land. Wow. We got a Safer Torah, um, borrowed a Safer Torah for laning. We provided glock kosher food. And um, we had two food trucks on site, you know, one Flasia meat truck and one sushi truck. <laughs> um, and uh, it was insane. The preparation is insane. And I didn't have any help until two weeks before two people were like, hey, like, do you need help? And it's like, uh, yeah, I'm up to my neck in, in water here. Like, I need uh, someone to give me a little support. And... Um, you know, one guy came in that was incredibly crucial, and that was uh, Aaron Glanstein, who is, you know, he's only 23 years old today. You know, he's only 23, um, but he's an electrician. He's, in hand, he's a handyman. He can build anything. He can fix anything. And his expertise in that field was the only way that things were all able to get done. Um, and also, I had uh, a lot of um, strategy that I had to plan out and a lot of strategic things that were, um, you know, important to discuss with other people. And in that department, Zev Turetsky, one of my closest friends and uh, a very old friend of mine, um, was by my side helping on board with the project, with strategy. And, you know, his perspective complements my perspective in a big way. So he would be able to point out things that I couldn't see. Um, that were like, it was like every time he'd, he'd be like, bring up a point, I'd be like, wow, like that's, that's really important that you brought that up. Thank you. And we could address issues and discuss how to move forward from there. Um, so with, with those people's support and, um, you know, Alan Glenn and Aaron Dralich, who, like I said, two weeks before actually came up to the site and were doing, you know, whatever needed to be done, um, you know, it was five of us that really were able to get things going. Mm. Um, but, uh, but certainly, uh, that first year was, uh, was the hardest I've ever worked in my entire life. Mm. Um, it was harder last year, honestly, this past year, um, because of a lot of issues that we were dealing with, uh, political issues with the town. And I've had to deal with a a lot of legalities, Mm. Um, to uh, get this through, Um, which uh, it's very controversial because a local politician made an anti-Semitic comment to my face and uh, led me into a trap uh, legally, sued me before the event last year after telling me that if I went ahead and got a permit that that town wouldn't bother me, I could go ahead and do it. You know, Sullivan County... It's, uh, it's this is a very interesting where, place. This is near where you grew up? Oh, or? yeah. Oh, yeah. It's so funny because, you know, it's like almost we're going back to the very beginning of the podcast when you were talking about how you learned from that experience how to, like, keep going even when there's, you know, the world coming down on you and that sort of thing. For sure. I mean, and we learned the concept of a malek, right? One of the persecutors of the Jewish people. <coughs> and um, I learned this recently that... The gematria of a malik is equal to the gematria of suffolk, mm-hmm. which means doubt. Mm-hmm. So the way that a malik attacks us is by instilling doubt in us. And Rabbi Nachman teaches that there's a way to overcome your enemies in their land. Mm-hmm. And the way that one does that is a two-step process. First, by having faith in the merit of our forefathers and there's a concept of creating Eretz Yisrael in your enemy's land. That's a concept of gamzos, which is an aspect of creation that you can bring out in your enemy's land. Hmm. And by having faith in the merit of, your for, of our forefathers and looking at our enemies and saying, wow, you know, like, if God is one... And we are all part of that oneness. 
than these adversarial forces we're facing are also a part of that oneness. We also learn that God only wants, only gives us the ultimate good because he wants us to have the ultimate good. So even though we might perceive something as bad, it's actually part of the ultimate good, which means that those adversarial forces are actually a part of that ultimate good. So by recognizing that, you, know, you can see your adversaries as good. And you're supposed to look at them with a good eye, with an eye in Tovin. And by looking at them with this eye in Tovin, you can see yourself through the eyes of your quote-unquote enemy. Hmm. And you can overcome them in their land and bring out the aspect of Eretz Yisrael in, your, in, the, in that land and redeem the land. Hmm. So... This concept is key, and recognizing that when you're on a mission that you have pure intentions with to truly help the Jewish people in a selfless way, Hmm. and you remove all notions of ego from that, then you should forge forward and overcome, and it's important to do that because God's in control. Amalek doesn't dictate what is going to happen to me? God dictates what's going to happen to me. And as long as my intentions remain pure, as long as um, I'm still seeking to help the Jewish people come closer to each other and come closer to God through an experience that anyone from any background of Judaism or any background of not being Jewish can come and have an incredible time because that's what the camping trip is. The camping trip is creating this aspect of, uh, of, of living that hasn't been seen since, in my opinion, since Harsinai or since the base of Mikdash stood. Um, you know, if everything's in line with halacha, if everything's in line and kosher, then what's the problem with people coming together and rocking out to an incredible trap DJ set on Saturday night or coming out and rocking out together at a Matis Yahoo show or a jam band show of people that aren't necessarily Jewish. If everything is meeting those standards, then great. Let's go. Let's go party together. Let's have an amazing time and celebrate being alive, celebrate God and celebrate Shabbat together. You know, that's what life is. So, I guess, um, I guess what I'm trying to say is that uh, Rav Freifeld, who founded Sharyashev in the Five Towns, said that the closest thing we've had to the Geula to the redemption, was Woodstock. (laughs) Which is interesting, because there is that dual nature of Woodstock. I don't know what, if this is like PG or... Go for it. Okay. So there's a duality nature of Woodstock, you know. On the one hand, it was promoted as peace, love, three days of peace, love, and uh, uh, unity. Um, the Woods 1969 Woodstock Music and Arts Festival. And on the other hand, one of the, the mottos that you hear coming out of that was sex, drugs, and rock and roll, mm-hmm. right? So Refreifeld said the closest thing we've had to the redemption was Woodstock. But he said that the problem with Woodstock was that Shabbat and Halacha were not safeguarded and were not kept. Think about it, 600,000 people coming together in peace, love, and unity in one place. So for the first time that happened since Harsinai. So I feel that the camping trip is a rectification of that. Mm. Um, I really have a goal to have every single Jewish neshama in the world to be at the camping trip this year. Um, we're live streaming the event. And uh, we are um, planning to have 2,000 people. Hmm. And um, and my mission is to do something like this on Har Habayat in the future, um, where we actually do get everyone to come together in truth, in love, in peace, 
for the purpose of coming closer to each other and coming closer to God. Um, if someone does it first, great. I, I'm waiting. I'm so excited for that. I'll be in the front row um, for that concert, I hope. Um, but, uh, you know, if I merit to be able to be a part of creating something like that, um, I'd be so grateful because that's really my vision for the future. And I think that the most important thing for people that do see this as something that they want in their life is, you know, a lot of people have to put aside those, those desires for physical things. You know, we don't need the new iPhone. We don't need the newest technology. If you're trying to do important work and you need it for doing important work to help bring the Jewish people closer, to help elevate them and bring them closer to God, okay, so that's good. Then, you know, go out and get what you need to do that. If you need a new iPhone, if you need a new computer to do that, then do that. But to be worried worried about having nice clothing and and about having things, materialistic things, and being perceived a certain way by people um, for egotistical reasons, you know, people have to recognize to put that aside. And that moving forward selflessly to help create this event, which I'm not talking about the camping trip now, I'm talking about this awesome event on Har Habayat. Mm. That is key. That's key. You know, everybody's waiting for Mashiach, but everybody has to bring out the Mashiach in themselves because it's not going to happen unless we're all in it together. And we are all in it together. So the question is, what are people waiting for? Because, and I'm not judging. I understand. I understand. I was, I was, I was part of that multitude of waiting, waiting, waiting. But the struggles that I've gone through in this last year of uh, the fallout of the legal proceedings that I was going through, you know, I gained a tremendous amount of appreciation. And through gaining that appreciation and through a lot of other incredible spiritual experiences that have brought me to where I am now, as I mentioned, you know, uh, observing more of the mitzvot, um, I recognize how important it is for everybody to commit to that aspect and just say, you know what, like, this life is not about me. It's not about like things that I want. It's about sustaining the spiritual aspect of myself, coming closer to God and helping other people come close to God. And by doing that in a natural way, not in like a forcible way. And that's why the camping trip is the most suitable for that. Um, or not just the camping trip, but any environment like that, that's completely inclusive and not exclusive because I want, I want everyone to come. I want everyone to be there. And I haven't made a dime off of this. And certainly I put in uh, a year's worth of work to do this event without any desire. And this is my Kavana now. This is my intention now. When I started doing this, I had intentions to make money. I was looking forward to getting recognition and being respected and making a lot of friends, being popular, you know, getting women, all that sort of stuff. For me now, I've removed that aspect because it's not about that at all. I don't care about making money. I don't care about, I mean, I would like to find a woman that I would, would love me and be committed to me the same way that I would love her and be committed to her. Um, and I don't care at all about the attention or the recognition. I care about the mission, and that's to unite the Jewish people and unite the world. And these are the resources that I've, I have at my disposal to help do that. If everyone looked at the resources that they have at their disposal to do that and then implemented those tools to help make it happen, then we wouldn't be waiting for Mashiach. It would just happen. That is the message I'm trying to convey to everyone by doing this. And I hope that people don't need people that people that don't hear this, people that just come and experience it, that they leave with that sense of service to perform chesed, kindness for others in a selfless way with the resources at their disposal to accomplish that mission. We're very close. 
We are very, very close. Our ability to communicate with each other, our ability to access different resources, it's all there. We have all the tools. We're lacking the faith. And we're lacking the love. We need to be honest with ourselves. What do we really want in this world? What do we really want in this life? Do we really want to achieve that ultimate state? Well, then we have to change our mindsets and commit ourselves to that and be active in doing that. So, yeah. <laughs> Beautiful. Should happen uh, immediately. Amen. And it will. I can't wait to go to the to the to the big to the big oh, show. Oh, Harhabayat! I'm, I'm looking know. forward, dude. We'll dance with each other, man. Uh-huh. <laughs> awesome. Looking forward to seeing all the familiar faces. Yeah, and everybody just chilling, like staring, like whoa. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be good. Awesome, man. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Great. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Hivria Cast. I'm Aladna Harai. If you'd like to hear more and read more of our work, you can follow us by going to hevria.com or facebook.com slash mag. We've been recording at the Kalal Studios in New York City, and the music that you're hearing is Voice Lessons by Darshan. Thank you so much. We look forward to seeing and hearing from you again. Darmay la la ta ta ka